another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. I will be switching to tea after this one, maybe. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, TV show marathoner, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. This week, we're headed to a world where old cat ladies are actually ladies with cat faces and loyalty to your friends comes way above everything else. I would give clues, but as I am still trying to process some of the show's messages for myself, I think that they would serve more to confuse than anything else. So I'm just going to tell you. This week, I'm going to be talking about the 2019 Hulu series that later streamed globally on Disney+, Dollface. Okay, I am just now realising that my introduction sounded a tad dismissive. It honestly wasn't meant to. The show has a really good cast and I recognised many of the actors who had even minor roles. And for those of you who fancy a bit of late 80s, early 90s nostalgia, Macaulay Culkin even makes an appearance, as well as Margot Robbie and Malin Ackerman and quite a few other actors and actresses who are in much bigger things. For those of you who, like me, had never heard of Dollface or perhaps only seen a few ads and then seen it pop up on their streaming service, I'm going to go into a bit of what the show is about and then we can get on with my thoughts. Jules Wiley, played by Kat Dennings, who I absolutely love, by the way, I even named my cat after her character in Thor, has been with her boyfriend Jeremy for five years. Her every single moment revolves around him completely. In fact, she's done that thing that girls used to do when I was a teenager and they suddenly get a boyfriend, forget their friends completely. Of course, all of this comes back to bite her in the arse when out of the blue one day when they're enjoying a romantic lunch, at least as far as the audience is concerned, it's given that whole glow of romance complete with light bouncy music. He tells her it's over and he's dumping her. On their way back to the house they share, in his car, she starts to talk about all the things they've got planned together, a wedding, a weekend retreat, and some other events. And it's at that moment, as the audience, you realise she's basically pinned her entire life, her social calendar, and even what she's wearing on this guy. The wedding is his sister Ramona's big day. The retreat is his work retreat. Does anyone actually do those over here in the UK? I've been working for a small indie company for years now and we very rarely do anything as a company. In fact, obviously last year we didn't even have our Christmas due. The events with friends are with his friends and even the sweatshirt she's donned over her pretty floaty floral dress is his. He actually points out to her that she should be hanging out with other girls, that their lives are too tightly entwined. Perhaps he was suffocating, though, to be honest, that's not an excuse for an out-of-the-blue dumping in public. At least, I don't think so. For some reason, despite the fact that they are both going to the same house, he drops her off at the side of the road, and here is where the weirdness truly starts. A bus pulls up and stops in front of Jules and when the doors slide open, the driver is a cat. Or rather, a cat lady, played by the always recognisable, cat head or not, Beth Grant. 
Not exactly sure what she's getting into, Jules climbs onto the bus and along the way she is told about how important the bond with female friends is, that it's sacred. But she does have choices and she sees them as the bus continues on its way through the desert. Not quite sure why the desert. She could be a guy's girl, always pretending to be interested in what he likes, juggling beer, wearing sports jerseys and telling every single man they meet that she's different to other girls. Or she could head on the route back to Rebound Town. She's surrounded on the bus by other girls who are crying and miserable after having been dumped. The cat lady also makes a point of telling Jules that she has a choice. She could rebuild the bonds with her girlfriends or she could end up a lonely cat lady. At this point, part of me felt a tiny bit offended as I looked over at my cat grooming herself on the dining table. Don't worry, I don't eat on it often because why would I when I can sit on the sofa? But she's not wrong. I am a single woman in her 40s with very few female friends and I have a cat. Am I a cat lady? I don't have more than one cat. And as I say this, I am looking at the top of my cup of coffee and realising I have to abandon it because there's cat hair in it. Fantastic. There's an excuse for the next cup. The final destination is a bus station where there are crowds of women with signs welcoming their friends back from their all-absorbing relationships. But when the crowd dissipates, Jules is left standing there all alone. There's no one waiting for her to come back from her relationship with Jeremy. After a while, she goes to the information desk where she is informed that there is a hold on her account as a woman. And not only that, her personal relationships have all expired as she abandoned them. This bit barely lasted 15 minutes of the first episode, but for some reason it felt like it lasted a lot longer, which... I don't always think is a good sign when you're watching something. It's like that film that takes forever to get to the point and then you look at your watch and see that barely 30 minutes have passed and there are another 90 to go before it's over. Not a good thing at all. Anyway, over the next 15 minutes, we get reintroduced to the friends that Jules abandoned when she started to date Jeremy five years previously. There's Madison, played by Brenda Song. She's an organiser, incredibly successful in her job and very driven. Jules was her college roommate and they got along famously, but when she started to date Jeremy, she dumped Madison like hot coal. You also get to meet Stella, another friend who is much more light-hearted and much more willing to forgive. It turns out that Jules is not actually very good at being in a group of girls. She doesn't feel comfortable and is always making excuses to not go out. I get that though. I really do. In my teens and my early 20s, clubbing was it. But as I got older, I preferred to just finish work and sit down with a glass of wine and a book. And no, I wasn't getting old before my time. I was apparently just depressed. We will get onto that. Madison decides to give Jules a chance, but Jules is still hung up on this idea of cliques and squads. They're outside a coffee shop when they see a group of girls hanging out together carrying yoga mats. Jules immediately asks how they meet and they say that they're a squad and they would have died without each other. This immediately starts her on a bit of a rant about squads and isn't that just another way to group women together? She really doesn't understand friend groups and it's possible that she doesn't feel comfortable in them at all. And then she has to eat her words when it turns out that this group of women were legitimately a squad. 
which is short for squadron. They fought in Afghanistan and they legitimately had each other's backs and they would have died without each other. After having pretty much burnt all her bridges with Madison, though perhaps her friend is being a bit oversensitive, she goes to see her other college friend, Stella, who is played by Shay Mitchell, who many will know from Pretty Little Liars. Stella is a free spirit. She doesn't have a real job. She models. She house sits. She does what she wants. And the idea of commitment is something that doesn't appear to sit too well with her. She's really a hedonist. But she also understands the value of friendship. She recommends that if Jules wants to show Madison she's truly back and truly is going to stick around, she needs to leave her comfort zone. This leads Jules to approach the popular group at work. Oh, I forgot to mention Jules and her job. She works for a company that I am absolutely positive is inspired by Goop, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's company. It is pretty much completely staffed by women, run by a woman called Celeste and called Womb. Seriously, Womb. I have to be honest, I am not sure what they do at Womb, but I know that Jules is a programmer there working on the website and she gets absurd requests like, Celeste wants people to be able to smell this candle before they buy it online. Yeah, that's not going to happen. As Jules is trying to talk with the popular girls, Alison, Alison and Alison, though one Alison is actually an Izzy who changed her name to fit in, another thing we will get into, the table keeps on moving away from her, though she is the only one aware of this constant change in state. When the table finally comes to a stop and she is able to sit down with them, she begs an invite to the product launch of a crystal that is meant to go where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> Let's just leave that one where it is, shall we? <laughs> Seriously. This launch party, or any party really, is out of Jules' comfort zone. She never goes to launches or work retreats unless they were for Jeremy's work. She never goes out with the girls from the office either, so this is new to everyone, not just her. Of course, the launch party does the trick. Well, that and the fact that when Stella goes off in a mystery van, not belonging to Scooby-Doo, Jules helps to find their wayward friend rather than go home to a house empty of everything but a cat called Turtle. The journey to rebuilding her friendships with Stella and Madison is not, by any stretch of the imagination, an easy one. In fact, it's filled with so many potholes and mountains that you half expect her to give up, but she doesn't. At every single turn, she's reminded that she is doing this, rebuilding her friendships, because they are something she should never have abandoned in the first place. And how is she reminded? Why, the cat lady shows up and Jules ends up as part of a weird game show called Should She Go Out?, or when she is working out and her fitness app tells her that she's been dumped, so needs to set a more challenging goal, and then informs her that this is why no one loves you, when she has to be pushed into setting it properly. There are certain points in the show where you can tell that it's incredibly surreal, such as when Jules joins Madison and Stella for their Sunday brunch. We get a montage of women getting dressed up in their Sunday best and heading to the tea shop, here, I'm guessing tea shop, it could be anything, that is designed in the style of a church, complete with a man in a white suit preaching about the necessity of brunch. Jules asks her friends for advice on a property that she has seen. She can't keep on living in Jeremy's house because, A, despite agreeing not to come back until she's moved out, he is always there and asking her to leave so he can invite his friends over, and B, she needs to move on. 
Apparently, this property she has found is fully furnished and it was on Craigslist. This immediately starts an argument between Stella and Madison. Stella thinks that Jules should travel rather than settle down, while Madison has the perfect property for Jules to get because it would be a great investment. As Stella and Madison argue over what Jules should do now that she is on her own and needs to move on, the table they are sitting at starts to split in two, with her two friends on either side and Jules stuck in the middle, struggling to hold it together, even as the ground beneath her is opening up as though she's sitting on a fault line. I can't help but think that Jules is so desperate to make her friends happy that she is going to do anything in order to make them like her which is not healthy whether you're talking about friends or lovers. She is growing accustomed to having her friends around her and she doesn't want to lose them, so she is willing to adjust her way of thinking, albeit slowly, in order to make sure that they know she's being genuine. The characters in Dollface each met some kind of stereotype and I honestly believe that this was an intentional move on the part of Jordan Weiss, the writer of the original script. First of all, we have Jules, the main character, as we've already established, she's recently been dumped by her boyfriend of five years and now she is having to find her way back into the world without him and the structure his presence gave to her life. She is struggling to get along as she's now outside her comfort zone. The fact that she finds it incredibly difficult to exist as a single woman makes me believe that she has never been comfortable in the company of large groups of women at all. To be fair, I know how she feels. I don't like talking relationships, babies and fashion, or rather, actually, I don't know enough about any of them to contribute to a conversation. Ask me about Marvel, Disney or a considerable number of other geeky subjects and I'm fine. Start asking me about fashion or makeup and I'm sitting there like a deer in headlights because I have no clue. Jules has to be a bit of a nerd. She's a web designer but it also appears that she feels a little bit above having female friends. The perfect example being her assumptions about the squad she meets when she's with Madison and another being when she goes out with the girls for the first time and doesn't automatically join the group when they're going to the toilet. Girls must go to the toilet in public places as a group. It's a rule. I remember this when I used to be a more social creature. If one girl in a group has to go to the toilet... They all have to go. I really think that this is more down to the fact that this is where you can actually hear each other talk, especially when you're in a club situation. Well, that and borrowing lipstick. The interesting thing is that Madison does point out several times that Jules was always difficult to encourage to socialise, but apparently friends feel it is their duty to make others do what they don't want to do for their own good. And that was a tongue twister. Madison is one of Jules' longest-serving friends. She's the first person that Jules goes to when she discovers that her female friendships have expired. The pair met while they were at university and were friends up to the point where Jules, in her loved-up state, dropped everyone outside of Jeremy's life. At points during the show, there are a few statements made by Jeremy that make you think he was instrumental in distracting her and distancing her from her friends because they didn't like him but that could just be my personal interpretation of his character. Anyway, Madison. She's a high flyer, a marketing executive who is in high demand, gets paid well and definitely knows what sells. She is incredibly feminine, loves to shop, loves to give unwanted advice, 
She likes to think that she is great at everything, but she certainly cannot cook and does it so infrequently that the oven in her flat is a shoe closet overspill. She's also in love with a doctor who just happens to be in the middle of a divorce. Or at least that's what he's telling her. Her boyfriend is considerably older than her, called Colin, a doctor who was looking after her mother. He's also played by the eternally suave Goran Viznik. Unfortunately, he's also a massive liar. Madison doesn't like to hear when she's wrong, and after discovering that not only is Colin not getting a divorce, but he's very married to Jules' boss, Celeste, Jules tries to be a really good friend and tell Madison. But unfortunately, she doesn't want to believe it. She's happy, she's living in Delusionville, and wants to stay there. It's strange, but out of all the girls in Dollface, Madison is the one I believe is probably the least stable, she is a type A on the edge of shattering, and that is so clear when she gets incredibly drunk in the desert. Actually, she doesn't get drunk. She gets really, really high, I think, on peyote. Oh, did I forget to mention that Madison also sees herself as the fixer of the group? She manipulates things so they go the way she thinks they should, and this includes going to the level of actually hiding Stella's passport when she was planning to go on an adventure that Madison believed would be dangerous. Stella is Madison's total opposite, so much so that she doesn't seem to have much structure in her life. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. She goes with the flow, enjoys herself, is friendly, outgoing, leads a very exciting and celebrity-filled social life, and knows people everywhere including in the desert when they get stranded at the very end of season one. Stella is also a tad commitment phobic. I would put this down to how she grew up, and we do get an example of this when we meet her mother, Terry, who is played by the still incredibly gorgeous Tia Carrera. However, she wants some sort of structure and purpose in her life. She knows she can't be the house sitter and on-off fling for a globe-trotting photographer, or the muse of an artist forever. She has a dream, she wants to go to business school, and without telling any of her friend circle, she is doing something about it. For all that Madison is the one who seems like she's incredibly put together, Stella actually knows what she needs to do, and without making a song and dance out of it, she's doing her best to get it done. It's obvious that her friends don't believe her to be capable of sorting out her own life. But if her conversations about her mother are anything to go by, she's been looking after herself for a very long time. It's strange, and I know that I am probably not meant to see Stella this way, but out of all of the girls, she's the only one I would say truly has her head screwed on. Yes, she makes mistakes. Yes, she is in a bit of limbo. But she is aware of these things and is doing everything she can to make her life the way she wants it. She doesn't need someone to dictate her future to her. All of this brings us to Izzy. Now, I'm not quite sure where to start with Izzy. She's a friend that Jules makes at work after she splits with Jeremy. Or rather, Izzy confides in her one day at work out of the blue. And having taken Jules into her confidence, she starts to hang around a lot, inviting herself places, almost but not quite pushing herself into the rebuilding friendships that Jules is struggling to maintain. Izzy's been living a lie for the entire time she's been working at Womb. 
She's been telling everyone that her name is Other Alison B in order to fit in, but in reality she is actually Isadora. She is endearing, eager to please, but has a tendency to step in and interfere in things that have nothing to do with her. In fact, she nearly destroys the friendship between Stella and Madison when she is really only trying to be a good friend. The only problem I honestly see with Izzy is that she is so eager to please that she doesn't realise when she's overstepping the mark. She will agree with whoever she is trying to impress in that moment and time, and this makes her someone who is probably best handled in very small doses. That's not to say that she's not an amazing friend, though, because she's the one who offers Jules a place to live when both Stella and Madison are arguing over the fact that they know what's best for her. Of course, at the end of the day, moving in with Izzy is not the best decision, and Jules ends up doing what she had planned all along. I get the feeling that Izzy just wants to be liked, to be known for who she is rather than the facade she put on the day she walked through Womb's doors. It may sound as though this series has nothing but a female cast. Well, primarily it does. But before I start talking about my feelings for the show as a whole, I do have a moment to talk about Wes, played by Matthew Grey Goobler, who has worked with Kat Dennings before on the unusual horror suburban gothic. Wes is a potential love interest for Jules, but when he is making subtle hints that he would like to date her, she isn't ready for commitment, or at least her friends have convinced her that she isn't. He's a vet she meets in the park when walking her cat, and initially she thinks he's making a pass at her when really all he's trying to do is tell her that she's stepped in some dog poo and it's all over her shoe. It is a dog park after all, and she's walking her cat there. That's not weird at all. Timing is everything, and never a truer word was spoken when it's about Jules and Wes. They don't end up together after ten episodes, but there is hope. Jeremy. He's an arse. He's the one who ends his relationship with Jules, tells her that he needs permanent space, and then he won't leave her alone. He starts dating someone else and Jules finds out that the things he refused to do with her, such as museum visits, are now being done with the new girl. And then he makes a clumsy pass at her and assumes that because she's not punched him yet, he's in with a chance. There are a few casual men along the way, and that's all they are. Some of them aren't even given more than a few moments. There's also a surreal garage where Jules is encouraged to pick up her just-one-thing guy. In other words, a man who seems perfect but there's just one thing about him that doesn't sit right. In the case of the man Jules ends up having something resembling a serial one-night stand with, it's the fact that he really loves playing with Lego. To be honest, can't see an issue with that. And he was played by Derek Thieler. Definitely can't see an issue with that. I have to say that the garage showroom scene was very amusing to watch. A lot of men standing beside sensible family cars in the front who were definitely relationship material. And out the back were the racing cars, the low-slung sports numbers with men who were suitable for just one thing. I wonder if there's a garage like that around here anywhere. I am honestly not sure why, but this didn't have a hugely positive feminist message well, at least to me, and apparently it was meant to. 
There were so many confusing elements. How is a woman helping a man cheat a feminist move? How is not following your gut something a self-assured woman should do? Why was it so necessary that Jules had to change everything about herself in order to please her friends? Should she not have been able to be comfortable in her own skin around them if they really cared about her? I guess that this is the lesson that you are meant to pick up from Dollface, that friends will always be there no matter what. Unfortunately for Jules Wiley, this was a protracted lesson that if the fact that Dollface has been renewed for a second season is anything to go by, she still hasn't completely mastered. Just in case you haven't checked the podcatchers since last week, a brand new episode of The Bookshop, all about the brand new book by Paige Toon, Someone I Used to Know, is available for download now. We've come to the question and answer part of the episode. Yay! Let me know if there are any questions you would like to hear me answer about the shows I watch or if there's actually a show you'd love to hear me talk about. So here goes. Did I enjoy it? Sort of. I had been really looking forward to it for a while because I really like Kat Dennings. For me, her brief appearances in Thor were the second best thing about it after Loki and I loved her in WandaVision. Dollface is one thing I think I need to contemplate for a little longer before I make a decision. I like the characters and I loved the introduced surrealism like the game shows and the cat lady, but whether that's enough is another thing entirely. Would I watch more? I think that I will have to make my decision on that closer to the time that the second season's added to Disney+, Plus, because that is where it will end up going. Given the fact that it's not currently been filmed i get the feeling that there will be a while to wait though in the interim i may well go back and watch a few bits again because the chemistry between wes and jules was really sweet and i really think it would be a shame if their route to togetherness wasn't included in the second season but then is that completely missing the point of the series so there it is, my completely spoiler-free review of the first season of Dollface. You can find it on Hulu in the US and Disney Plus Star elsewhere. So how are things in the coffee household this week? I could probably answer this question with a single, simple mouth sound. Blech. I'm not sure what is going on in my head, but for some reason I have been seriously struggling. My motivation is somewhere around my ankles and along with that have come feelings of exhaustion that I'm seriously struggling to pull away from. But speed is not my thing at this moment in time and I can't quite get up the momentum. Here's a perfect example of how my mood is now. I have been watching the same film for the last four nights and I still haven't finished it. Truth be told, I am actually not in the mood for very much at all. It's really for this reason that no episode happened last Thursday. I had the notes all written up, I'd watched the show, I knew roughly what I wanted to say, and then when it came to actually writing the script down in Google Drive, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I picked up the notebook a few times, opened the document in my laptop, and ended up staring at the bare-bones template of what should have, by Tuesday at the very latest, become a completed script. I know, even as I'm saying this, that there are plenty of people who feel this way. Motivation and sleep are two of the first things that are affected when depression settles in. The issue is that this time it just hit. 
I guess the biggest thing when you're diagnosed with certain conditions like me and thousands of others, I know I'm not alone, is that there is no warning. There's no trigger or light bulb moment that flashes on and off saying, danger, you're hitting the danger zone, get in the crash position. Instead, all you get is this overwhelming feeling of bleh. I know I'm not being hugely descriptive here, but I am struggling. For the last week and a half, I have faked a happy face for meetings. I have faked the smile when I talked with my mum. This weekend, we spoke for four hours on MasterChef, teeth and gardening. Yes, we talk about all the serious stuff. To be honest, I don't think that she would know what to say if I did mention the fact that I am feeling I am being swallowed whole by a massive black cloud of abject misery. And I have taken deep breaths and then just let the tears come when I couldn't do anything to stop them. It's weird, but I think that Darcy knows when I'm having issues because she becomes even more clingy. She follows me into the bathroom, sits on the bed in my study and claws while yowling as though she's in pain at my bedroom door when I go to bed. She also sits on my legs until they're numb because she's not exactly the smallest cat to keep me company when I flip between one TV show or movie and the next in the evenings. I hate my lack of focus. I hate the fact that when I get like this, I have trouble maintaining any kind of momentum with any task. This week, I have been writing about the best vans sold in the UK for specific purposes. Normally, I'd be able to write something like that in a day. I hit day three tomorrow. I am having trouble focusing on anything at all. At the moment, I can hear a sort of white noise buzzing in my head all the time. It's not exactly distracting, but it is disturbing. I know that it's not a sound in the flat. I know that it's not outside. It's the noise in my head that mirrors how I'm feeling. I honestly feel as though there is a black cloud about to swallow me whole. And right now, I wouldn't be sad if it did. I'm sorry to put such a downer on events, but I felt that you should know how I'm feeling. I do talk about mental health after all. Luckily, I have a checkup for something else this morning, so I will be doing everything I can to get my doctor to listen. And being fair to him, he is someone who seems to have the time and care enough to spend a little bit of that trying to understand people like me. I will be okay. It's just one of those things. I've been living with it for long enough by now. I will continue to meditate, continue to take my pills, and I promise I am getting help. Be well, look after yourselves, and I will be back on Monday with another book. I just need to find the right one. Before I go, I do have one thing to say. Voting closes for the British Podcast Awards this coming Sunday, the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, all of those in the US. And there are some incredible podcasts out there up for awards. If you haven't done so yet, head over to the website. I will post the link in the info box. You can even vote for me if you want to. Just don't forget that all-important exclamation mark at the end of Not Before Coffee. So that's it for this episode. I do hope you enjoyed the listen, and I'll be back next week with more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with the next book review. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family, and please post a review or give me a star rating over on Podchaser. I really love hearing from you. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. Well, I need another cup of coffee as the last one had cat hair in it. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. 
Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.